Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and this is our last one of the 2013 calendar year. Before we begin, do not forget you can catch the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else simply by downloading the Times app to your smartphone. This week, I'm joined in the studio by Alison Rudd. Julian Lawrence, who is often in the studio, is not in the studio because he's out in the wonderful wilderness that is Cheshire. And I am delighted, I think it might be the first time this season, that we have everybody's favorite Northern correspondent, James Ducker on the show. And yes, he is that much better than everybody else up north. So let's get on to it. Stanford Braves, Chelsea, and Liverpool. Okay, Alison, I'm sure it's a coincidence that I don't, you know, we have to talk referees, but I'm sorry. But when your friend Brendan Rogers talks about the referee, when Jose Mourinho talks about the referee, and when this guy has, I thought, an absolutely horrid, horrid game. Uh, not necessarily one that ultimately impacted the outcome. I, I mean, I was there. I thought Chelsea were better than Liverpool. Was this just like a really bad day? What, like too much stuffing or something? Or? Well, I, I, don't, I don't think we can take it for granted that Howard Webb had a bad day. We I can because Alan Shearer said so Alan on Match Shearer of the Day. Said so, but I think if you took the cumulative uh, opinion of the pundits on Sky, they didn't think he had such a bad day. Um, Sorry, who are the pundits? On, I don't watch Sky. Who are the pundits on Sky? I, I, I was at the game. I, I prefer to watch with my own eyes and make up my mind rather than sit there. Who, who are the, you, who are the three? you brought up pundits. <laughs> I threw pundits back. They, who, who, and they have who more they? pundits. Who on were Sky. they? Who they were have they? Gary Neville, they have Jamie Carragher, and they have Glenn Hoddle. And they all. Glenn Hoddle. And, and they have sweet. And they, they all said he had a great game. They did say he had a great game, but once they went through each decision that was contentious, they mostly agreed with mm-hmm. the outcome of them. And I think you can go through each decision. And if if you go through each decision, you can come to the conclusion that it was a reasonable outcome from Howard Webb's point of view. Which one do you want to do first? The first incident, which was the well, Eto scrape on Henderson? Let's figure out, first of all, let's figure out whether it's worth going through them. Because if Julian and James both tell me that, Gab, you don't know what you're talking about. You're, you and Alan Shearer are fools. Alison is right. There's no point debating this. Then... I'm happy not to debate it. No, I, I'm with you, Gab. I, I, um, I'm, I, I'm personally a big fan of Howard Webb, but I thought he had a, I thought he had a dreadful game. On uh, I thought the big, I thought all of those big calls 
he got all of them wrong. I thought Lucas on Hazard was a penalty. I thought Eto on um, uh, Eto on Suarez was a penalty. I thought Eto was very lucky to stay on the field for sort of raking his studs down Henderson's shin in the in the, um, in the third minute, and it obviously wouldn't have been on the pitch to score that goal. I thought it was a poor game all round for from him, one of the poorest I've seen from from an otherwise excellent referee. It happens. You can have stinkers, right? I mean, yeah. Jimi Hendrix, I'm sure, had bad nights too, right, Julian? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I, I went to um, Portugal, Sweden, and Stockholm, second leg of their playoff a few weeks ago, and Howard Webb, I mean, that was a seriously, seriously fast game, and there was a, there was a, a lot to sort of contend with, and he officiated it superbly. It was an absolute masterclass in refereeing, but he just had a very, very bad day, and I don't think he got much help from his assistants who were ordinarily glide. You're saying we don't debate them, and then the person who says, oh, yeah, he had a shocking game, just goes through each and uh, the three most contentious issues. We will, Alison, but I think we're trampling over Julian's um, rights here because he might be on your side. He might think that Howard Webb had a wonderful game. We don't know, but let's end the suspense now. Julian... In a word, that Howard Webb had a fantastic game and did he get all the big decisions right? No, I'm sorry, Al. I, usually I'm with Alison, but no on that one. I agree with the boys. I think he, he didn't have a good game. And the, the one that James forgot is the tackle on, uh, of Oscar on, on Lucas right yes, at the end. Come on. Disgraceful tackle as well. So, sorry, Al. The two get in a fist fight on the pitch. Like, oh, well, nothing to see here. Don't spoil the game. And the, come on. I mean, I, he, he was he was regressing to his World Cup final performance there. But sorry, I, I don't want to. No, please tell me. But okay, it, let me quickly, okay. just very no, 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 quickly, no, no. go no, no, through why. Just, just 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 mention. Just start with the Eto on Henderson. If you can explain a sort of technically why that might not have been even a yellow card, and b whether the fact that it was the first minute of the game played into his mind, and this whole spoil the game nonsense that people love to bring up when referees don't make calls. In real time, at the start of the match, it did not look like it was a particularly dangerous tackle. It wasn't at speed, and it wasn't... He slightly pulled out of it. The, the, the actual impact of foot on shin was not dangerous. It did not look like a leg breaker. I, I agree it probably was worth... Because it was reckless, it was worth a yellow card, and the fact that it was so early in the game might have had an influence, and some referees do do take that into account. They don't want to start the game with a flurry of cards because it's going to end up in a, in a melee of reds. And they, suffice, want to, they just want to keep a lid on it for the first 10, 20 minutes. You can agree or disagree with that philosophy. But it was not, in real time, a dangerous tackle, and therefore it was not a red card. Julian, I want to ask you, the, the Lucas on Hazard thing, to me, is an obvious penalty. So many people have told me, no, it's not a penalty because Hazard kicks out his leg and looks for contact and, and whatever. A- am I wrong? And, and, if, and if he is kicking out his leg looking for, for Lucas's leg, then that's kind of cheating, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think so. And, and it, it all comes back to, uh, I always say, but anyone that has played football, even at a, low, a very low level, even with your mates and anything, when, when you dribble past people like Hazard did on, on that movement, you just, you just can't. It goes too quick to look for someone's leg to fall on the floor. It's just, that's just not. He protects. He protects the ball, and Lucas is very clumsy and 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 foul him in the box, and that's all. It's not possible at that pace, you know, at that level of football, that someone like Hazard is looking for someone else's leg to fall on the box on on his own, basically, and 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 die and dive. That that's just not possible, in my opinion. Well, it might very well be that the where Lucas had placed his foot 
would have led to Hazard tripping over that foot in the box. But I don't really see what the referee is he supposed to project into the future. But because before that happened, Hazard, so determined was he to win the penalty, he stuck his right leg in between Lucas's legs to guarantee that he fell over. And that's the first action. And that's the action that the referee sees. And he decides, I'm not going to extrapolate what would have happened if... Well, if Hazard had not tried to win the penalty. At that pace, Hazard is not thinking, where are Lucas' legs? Where well, I'm going to put my legs between his legs to make sure that the ref sees. At that pace, it's like, it's a fraction, it's not even a second. It's like, that went so fast that Hazard was just dribbling past two Liverpool players. And that was it. I don't think he even had the time to think, where are his legs? Julian, that legs? is not how people dribble. That is not how people... When on earth do you run with the ball and decide you're going to run and, and stick your right leg out at 90 degrees. That's not normal running. That is an act of cheating. Well, I have well, to disagree on that can, one. Can, Sorry. Can, should I ask, can you, since you're more better versed than I am in, 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 in sort of the, the, the more technical side, um, are, are ref, if, 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 if this is, I mean, if the presumption is that he didn't give a foul because Hazard stuck his leg in, in between Lucas's yeah. um, legs and therefore somehow initiated the contact. Is that a situation where if you follow that line, you could then um, produce a card for simulation or are referees now instructed to, well, if that happens, we're not sure well, what happened, so let's leave it as a non-call, which is the way um, Webb played it. Uh, I think you t- to, to give a card for simulation, you have to be... Absolutely. I mean, the, the the trouble is, if 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 you've got two players both both slightly out of order, I don't. You, the the best the best outcome is to say it's a no, it's a no call because you can't be absolutely sure that 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 Hazard uh, that you can call it simulation. I, I, I've called it cheating. I thought it was simulation, right. but, but I can I can so see why it's them. too complicated. It's too complicated for, for any referee, whether it's Howard Webb or anybody, to sort of calculate everything that went on in that situation. He just has to say, I'm not absolutely sure it's a penalty. I'm not absolutely certain it was a dive. But I don't think there was enough in, e- in either direction for me to take action. So it's OK for referees. Enough. It's, it's fair enough. You know what I'm saying? But referees have the latitude. But I just want to establish this very clear because one of the things you always hear is, well, it's either a penalty or you need to book him for diving. Now, that is not true. No, that's not Alison, true. Alison, you, you've illustrated no, that. Referees have the latitude to, to, go, and, to go and interpret it uh, or, or to go and, and apply. Yeah, uh, it would be this. ludicrous if that was followed through. I, we, we, have a, we have a lot of these. I, I, I thought John Terry and Luis Suarez was also a penalty. But, hey, you know, that, I'm told by many that it was good, strong defending and he came in from the side, as somebody put to me, which is kind of weird because you're heading the ball away. But whatever. I don't want to get into that because I'm sure – Probably none of you think that that was a penalty, right? No, it was a penalty. There you go. Thank you, Ducker. <laughs> Thank you. It was. I mean, that, that, that for me was a great example of um, a great example of Luis Suarez's reputation going before him. Uh, most strikers there would win the penalty. He was manhandled. Um, it was all over him. It was. It was clearly, clearly, uh, uh, you know, obstructing him. It was just. I, I just. I, I couldn't. I couldn't understand it. For me, that was as much a penalty as Eto's challenge on Suarez later well, on. And, and that's, that's nicely for Eto's challenge on Suarez. Now, before we get into that dynamic, I thought it was interesting. This is something that is very familiar to me in Italy, uh, perhaps um, Julian, you in France as well. When you have a game full of incidents, what you do is you want to own the conversation afterwards so that 
you know, you kind of set the agenda for what's discussed. And immediately afterwards, Mourinho knows that in this game there were contentious incidents on both sides. But he goes and he talks about Suarez's dive into the swimming pool and he brings up the wild side and the dark corner of Europe, which is also where, you know, Portugal is in. So that we talk about all this, which ultimately didn't impact the game in the sense that obviously it wasn't called and Chelsea still won. I'm wondering, is he doing this so that we won't have any situation now with, with Samuel Eto'o or, or so that people talk about this incident and make it seem bigger than some of the other incidents, some, you know, like the Eto'o one, was potentially dangerous? Is this how Mourinho's mind might have worked, Julian? You, you kind of knew that once the final whistle went and, and then he went to interviews and then to the press conference, you knew that he would come up with something like that. I think you know, there was, no one was really surprised by the, the kind of comment he made. And I think you spot on, Gab. That's 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 the way he worked. That's his tactics, and 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 we'll have to see if if he works or not. But it was just not a surprise at all. You, he was I, so you could just so tell that he was going to do that. Because it struck me at the time, he didn't quite know the whole sort of Oscar Lucas Brazilian hissy fit between the two of them. He probably didn't have a fully clear idea of what might have happened, and this was a way not to have any kind of knock-on effect from that. Let's all deflect it and not talk about these two guys you know, nearly having a punch-up in, in, in the middle of the park. Eto and Suarez, I'm, I'm assuming Howard got that one correct in your mind, Alison? I felt it was hip-to-hip. Hip. I really thought it was hip-to-hip. So it's to allowed, hip. yeah? Hip-to-hip. Hip. Hip like shoulder-to-shoulder, yeah? hip-to-hip. How on earth you call it? And in a way, Suarez made it easy for Webb because, Alison, he because, because the way he fell he over did not match the, the action. He was looking at the man hacked him, hacked his leg out to take him down. It was, the, it was just, there was no attempt whatsoever to play with the ball. He was looking I, at the man yeah. and deliberately oh, wanted oh, to... I think, Alison, I think it sorry, could have been shoulder, obstruction. It sorry, could have been obstruction. On the shoulder to shoulder, am, not am I not, correct me if I'm wrong, with the laws of the game, um, shoulder to shoulder is fine if you have two players who are competing to chase a ball. But Espiliqueta was running away with the ball at that point, right? Yeah, no, there was, I mean, no, you're right. There was an, I think there was an element of obstruction. There was, okay. it, you could you could argue, having I'm seen Malice. it several times, <laughs> there was an element of obstruction, and it should have been an indirect free kick. Was it was the box. He was crafty. He was dirty. <laughs> was he did all... he did look guilty afterwards. I'll give you that. I I sorry. I know some people don't like it when we talk about referees because they're all human, part of the game, blah blah blah, and they're all exactly well. But I thought it was necessary. Thank you, Alison, for explaining this. Um, I want to talk a little bit um, about Chelsea though, because going into this game, I thought to myself, uh oh. What's Mourinho going to do now? Because Ramirez is suspended. Lampard isn't getting any younger. Mikel's not getting any quicker. You're going to have the, the two freaking Coutinho running this way and Sterling running that way and Suarez running the other way. You know, not really a context for a Mikel-Lampard partnership in the middle of the park. And then he, he, he sort of, you know, like pulls up his sleeve and pulls out David Luiz back as a midfielder. And what I thought was interesting was People are going to say, oh, look, just like what Rafa did. No, I thought it was different because if you look, um, most of the game, Lampard spent half the time looking at Louise, where Louise was, where he'd wandered off to, and basically holding his position the whole time. This isn't like a reinvention of David Louise, right? This is just a one-off for one game, or could it be a position David Louise is perhaps the more buccaneering of the two central midfielders? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see that uh, Mourinho waited one whole half of the season before playing him in, in midfield or more like more or less at least in a big game like that and and you're right, it's a good question. Is it is it just because he had 
no other choice or because he thought that was the best choice for that kind of game or does he see the future for David Luiz in that position? I mean, we've said many times on the podcast that, I mean, personally, I'm not convinced David Luiz has a great future in that position. But to be fair, he did really well yesterday and surely Mourinho saw that as well. And it'd be interesting to see what's, what's coming soon because Cahill and Terry work, work well at the back. Yeah. And with, with Luiz in front of them, they look much more solid than, than they've, they've done since the start of the season, to be fair. Seeing Liverpool, right, I, I kind of get the sense, and I know that they have a transfer committee, and I know that before when Brendan Rodgers made all the signings himself, he ended up with Usama Saidi and Joe Allen for all that money. But, and, and, and I, I, I really like a lot of the things Rodgers is doing, but I kind of feel like he's working with pieces that don't fit together. Um, Liverpool have had, what, like five different left-backs this season? Seeing Daniel Agger playing left-back in this game was, was painful, not because he can't play left-back, but because he obviously hasn't played that position in, in, in ages. There's no other central midfielders. He only has four central midfielders, right? And he plays three of them. I, it just looks to me that, that this team feels kind of foreign, I think, to what Rodgers wants to do. Am, am I misreading this? Well, I think Rodgers would say he, I think he'd agree with you to a degree, and I think he wants that image to be portrayed right now because he wants money spent in January and I think that's why he brought Brad Smith on which was one of the more ludicrous decisions I've ever seen in management I, this, I have to this say, guy it, it's not often that I watch a game and I do this not because I'm a genius I do this for a living that somebody comes on and I'm like who the hell is this guy I have never heard of him before who is Brad Smith well he's he's I think he's 19 and he, it was his debut Premier League debut and he's been with Liverpool as a youth player since he was 14 and he is uh, left-sided. I think he can play defence or midfield. Um, but to, when he had he had um, Luis Alberto on the bench, I don't think he's in favour with um, Rogers Alberto. You also had Ali Sissoko but, on the bench, who really is a left-back, incidentally. Yeah, but even if you're out of favour, if you've if you've played a lot of first-team football and you're older and more experienced. At that stage of a crucial Premier League game, you bring him on, don't you, rather than someone who you just absolutely have no... You have zero idea how that boy is going to react to the pace of the game, the pressure of the situation. And what the heck are you supposed to do when you're that age and that inexperienced and you're a goal behind? I, it, and it told Alison, didn't it? He, was, he looked he was dreadful. He looked dreadful. And I hate to say it because he's so young. And, but yeah. that, who knows what that might do for his confidence? All right, moving on to uh, George Calkin land, the Great Northeast, Newcastle, and and Arsenal. Now, I, I think Julian, we 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 went into this sort of expecting. All right, you know, Arsenal. This is where they're going to have the wobble because the squad's not that big, and Ozil has his. Um, <clears throat> shoulder injury, because that's exactly what it is. It's a shoulder injury and nothing else. Um, and, uh, and, and and obviously, um, and, and Aaron Ramsey, of course, out uh, as well. But they survive West Ham, and they go to Newcastle, who are flying, and take the points there. Is this is this a different dimension of Arsenal that we're seeing, uh, perhaps a slightly more, more muscular Arsenal, an Arsenal that can win ugly as well when, when they need to and mix it? Yeah, I think there's, there's a part of that. I think the same game last season, at, at that time of the season, they would have definitely not won it, probably lost it as well. And I was at the game yesterday, I made all the way, not only because there was a non-Frenchman at, at kickoff, but just because I wanted to see if, if Arsenal could be resilient enough to to, face, to cope with the, the physicality as well of, of Newcastle playing at home. And it's exactly what they did. And it was tough at the, you know, the last 15 minutes, but for most of the game, they, they were just, you know, 
not playing well, but defending really well, playing as a team, fighting for each other, which is something that we've seen a bit through the first half of the season, but that was not there last season, for example. And and I think someone like Mathieu Flamini has brought a lot on that level to the team. Matt Sacco and Koscielny were brilliant at the back as well. And, and I just thought that it, it's, it's a game that could mean a lot in, in, in the season for Arsenal. Alison, still looking at it, does the squad still look like he needs a, he really should bring in a striker now in January, given that it's so bunched up at the top of the table, given that you are an injury away from, from Nicholas Bentner? You know, and I'm not saying it in a mocking way, but you're an injury away from, I mean, something bad happens with, with Giroud. You're injured away from having to play Nicholas Bender every single week between now and the end of the season. Or Podolski up front, who's, you know, and, and to me not the most inspiring choices as a center forward. Or Theo Walker, which would then force you to rejigger your own. Yeah, that's, but that's, more options, that's more options than Chelsea have got at the moment. Why? What do you mean, why? That is. Well, Chelsea I mean, have Fernando Torres, a £50 million striker. They have Samuel Eto'o, formerly the highest paid player in the world. They're they have not Dan producing Baba. it, they have, You know they have Andre Shorla. <laughs> I, I, uh, no, if you had to, no, seriously, if you had to take on form three strikers, I would take Giroud, Podolski and, well, okay, Benner. But, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I think it's slightly strange the way the focus is always on how, Arsenal are really shy of good strikers when I think they have more better informed strikers than than Chelsea do. Yeah, but they've, they've got well, they've got one striker, Giroud, who who um, don't care what anyone says, is being pinned up as a sort of you know this great solution. When I think there's a real danger that people are uh, suggesting he's better than he actually is. But if he gets injured, then. Podolski or Bentner. I mean, dearie me, that either of those two leading the line is, is really underwhelming. If I, if I was Wenger, I mean, you'd, you'd be doing everything you possibly can to get a top-level striker in January. I know that is not easy, but they've got themselves into a great position now, and they are they are a, a injury to Giroud away from, I think, calamity up hey, top. Hey, I think maybe that, that's the difference. If, if Torres gets injured... And Eto'o or Ba plays in his place. It's not a big drop off for Chelsea from their overall level. If Giroud gets hurt and Podolski plays up front or Bender plays up front, it is a big drop off. I mean, Julian, isn't that the difference ultimately? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and, and to be fair, you know, talking about form before and before yesterday, Giroud hadn't scored in, in the last seven games, and and obviously Bender scored once, and and Podolski spent most of the first half of the season injured anyway, but. Is Giroud yesterday? Uh, there was a there was a tackle by Williamson in the first half that actually put a hole in his foot. He had he needed stitches what? at the end of the game, and it was it was really close from coming off at half time. And he wanted to stay on, stayed on, scored that goal. Which, but you're right, he's so fragile. I mean, he's, he said that physically he's okay. You know, he, he, I saw him after the game. He said that he doesn't feel too tired, but he's played every single game so far this season. It's just crazy. And if they don't buy someone else, that co- could cost them a lot. A word on Newcastle, because I, I almost think, like, again, this is a very sort of quiet run to the top six. I almost feel like, even with Everton, people look at it and be like, oh, well, you know, remember, we don't believe they, they'll finish in the championship. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Champions League, but isn't Roberto Martinez fantastic? And Barkley and Brian Oviedo and this and that. With Newcastle, it's kind of like, oh, well, we already celebrated the Newcastle story a couple of years ago when uh, Pardew did well with them. And, um, yeah, they're up there. Well, it won't last. They, it, it, are they getting slighted a little? I'm asking you, Alison, because I know you're, you're, you're a big fan of, of, of Alan Pardew in particular. I do think Pardew deserves a lot of praise, actually. And the director of football as well? Well, for having handled that. I mean, you know, I, after they beat um, Is it Pardew Palace, or is it the director of football? It's Pardew. After they beat Crystal Palace, and they did so well within themselves and with a lot of class as well, and Pardew was really bigging up the team, which was interesting because managers tend not to do it at that point. They Anyway, he, he was full of it. and um, But rightly so, I thought, because I think at the start of the season, they were the laughing stock club. And you could you could you could you could produce a list of all the reasons why it was not going to be Newcastle's season. The only thing they had in their favour was they had no distractions in Europe. They clearly couldn't cope with that previously because they don't have the squad size or the experience to do so. And Pardew's made that fact that he's just focusing on the league and he's overcome obstacles of them being them being a joke club. I mean, the the the, the appointment of Joe Kinnear was handled very poorly. Pardew doesn't go into detail on how it all works together when they chat about who they might be focusing on for the next transfer. But he's 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 decided to keep it as an internal matter, and um, his man management skills. Again, we all we've all have been through that. They've got too many French players. They haven't got the spirit. They don't know what what life at Newcastle's supposed to be. Suddenly, they're playing like a a real team with real togetherness. And if they can maintain. I don't know, a top six, top se- a top seven presence. I think that's one of the success stories of the season, one of the surprise success stories of Julian, the season. Julian, um, A, is there such a thing as too many French players in one place? And uh, um, <laughs> B, it's interesting because I, I, so I, I met Joe Kinney a couple of years ago. I, I read the funny things that George wrote about him. I've listened to the things he says. He just sounds rid- ridiculous and whatever else. But I also feel that sometimes the media, we develop an idea in our head that, this guy is a freak show, and we just keep hammering it home and hammering it home and hammering it home. You know, see Tan Vincent. And, and Kinnear's kind of in that same category of, of, of absurdistan. But um, the, the players who are there, what does he do? I, I, mean, the, I mean, without obviously giving too much away, but with all those French guys there who, who you speak to, you interact with, do they ever see Kinnear? Does he, Kinnear give any input, or is Never. he just down the pub and they don't see him? Never. They're, I mean, the one I've Do they know who he is? The one I know, they, they've never seen him, ever. I mean, we obviously remember that interview he gave where he got the name of the, the French player wrong. 
I mean, at least Ben Arfa and, and Kebab. <laughs> and I, which I think the least he could have done after that is apologize to them. But they, they, they haven't spoken to him, seen him on the phone, by text, by email, by WhatsApp, BBM, whatever you want. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. And I, I don't know, Jukini, I've never met him. I don't know if he's a nice guy. I've obviously only from what I've seen and read and, and heard. But I, I just think it's, it's disgraceful. And, and just to, to finish, I don't think it's, it's never too bad to have too many Frenchmen, although yesterday was quite, it was like a league on game. It was crazy. But I think Newcastle is Johan Kabay. And it was so obvious yesterday, probably more than ever so far this season, that when he's not involved, when he's not on the ball, they can't do anything. They can't do anything with the ball. As soon as he's involved, he makes things happen. And everything that happened for them yesterday was down to him, well, at least at the start of it. And if they lose him in January, which, which could happen, I think you know, they, the second half of the season would be completely different than what we've seen. And if they started so poorly this season, it was because he was not playing after, you know, after what happened in August and him and his, his probably departure or whatever you call it. And I, and I really think that he is such a key, more than any other player, maybe, maybe with Suarez, but he's such a key player for that team, more than any other players for, for their team in the Premier League. All right, now, we've had a lot of French on this show so far between, you know, players who really are French, like uh, uh, Kabay and, um, and Debouchy and Suarez. That was a joke. Nobody laughed. Okay, all right, sorry. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to keep with the uh, Franco-Filiac team because we're going to discuss another Frenchman now in our debate. Um, it's uh, Nicolas Anelka. Now, I'm going to try to sum up what this is about. Julian, if I say something wrong or non-French, uh, please feel free to jump in okay. and uh, correct me. So basically, controversy surrounds Nicolas Nelka's first goal celebration for uh, West Brom against West Ham. He made a gesture uh, popularly known as a, as a canal. I, you may, if you're a foodie like Alison and myself, you may know canals as something entirely different, which is sort of what you make when you sort of use two spoons to kind of create sort of a, a shell shape, yes? That's correct. Um, exactly. But this has nothing to do with it. This is a gesture. Um, I'm sort of uh, demonstrating it now, but it's um, uh, it, it, if you've seen it, it's a bit of an unusual and unnatural gesture. And the genesis of this comes from a French comedian named Dieudonné, who's he's the French guy of, I think he's half Cameroonian descent, and he used to tour with uh, a Jewish comedian, and their shtick was pretty satirical, where, you know, they'd kind of go out in a limb and, and I suppose, cross certain boundaries, but there was a general sense of balance to this. However, this was a long time ago, starting around 2005, 2006, he broke up from this guy, he's been accused of being anti-Semitic, anti, and generally racist, not just, it's not just a Jewish thing, he's had to go at, at, at Arabs as well, which is kind of funny because power base is actually with a lot of Arabs uh, in, in France, and he's a controversial character within France, he's still a, a comedian apparently, he also happens to be friends with a lot of, uh, of famous athletes in France, including uh, Tony Parker, and you're looking at me blankly because you don't know what basketball is, but trust me, he is extremely famous, and he dated Ava Longoria. So basically, this is the background. It's not okay to make this gesture generally in France. No French footballer has done it in France, with one exception in a, in, in a cup game, uh, Montpellier and Sochaux, last year, and now Nicolas Anelka goes and does this. Is that a fair uh, summing up? Yeah, the, the only mistake was that Tony Parker was actually married Eva Longoria. Oh, there you go. Yes, it was actually married. <laughs> now, I should point out that people say that this gesture is not an anti-Semitic gesture. They say it's, a, it's an anti-establishment gesture. Correct me if I'm wrong, Julian. It's been somewhat co-opted because people start 
think it's hilarious to go and do this gesture around sort of Holocaust memorials and, and things like that. And then it goes viral and people like sort of grinning and, and whatever. And then it becomes somewhat less funny and less hard to argue that it's used in an anti-Semitic way by many people. Would that be fair? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, I'm, not, I'm not trying to prove that it's, it's anti-Semitic, but Dieudonné himself, for example, every year gives the, the golden canal to the best canal made by someone anonymous like, like you or me or anything. And for the last couple of years, the, the guy who won did it in front of uh, Auschwitz and the second one in Berlin uh, in front of the, um, the memorial for, for the Holocaust. If the canal that wins, the best canal of the year, is the one doing in front of the Holocaust memorial. And if that's not anti-Semitic, I just, I just don't know what it is then. All right. So we're going to try to bring this back within a football sphere. So it was important to, to, give, to give the background here. Ducker, there's a pretty clear impetus that you're not allowed to make any kind of political gesture on a football pitch. Um, you'll recall that Robbie Fowler, of course, got a two-match ban for showing a, a T-shirt supporting Dockers on strike. Uh, that was a long time ago. Now, some people say that BFA uh, in itself has been rather hypocritical on the stance because, of course, they had no issue with – a lot of people felt the – FIFA certainly felt that the, the whole poppy uh, incident, you know, that was quite a political statement. Uh, the FA obviously felt differently. But when a footballer goes and does this on the pitch, he's doing it consciously. Nicholas Nelka tweeted out that he was simply paying homage to his friend, Dieudonné. Um, he could have done it by, you know, wearing a Dieudonné uh, T-shirt under his jersey, right? rather than making this gesture? Yeah, I think I would agree with you there, Gav. I think it's um, to suggest it was to suggest it was just honouring his friend and not a political gesture as well would be, uh, you know, open to sort of great debate. But it's difficult to say. I mean, as, as, as uh, Jules said, he's obviously got a reputation for... The comedian's got a reputation for the gesture now, and it, it, it's a, it was a very... It would be a very clear and obvious way to anyone know, who knows him for an Elka to honour him or, or, or salute him. But Julian has got, a, I think he's got a criminal record, hasn't he, for inciting racial hatred and uh, I think uh, for anti-Semitism in the past. So an Elka would surely know that and he would surely know that he'd be leaving himself open to to some sort of serious um, action by openly supporting a guy who's you know, tread a difficult, you know, strange, difficult ground with it before. So, I just to be just purely a show of support for the comedian. I just I find that hard to believe, really. It's such a privileged platform. What you do, you know, in a Premier League game, there are so many millions of people watching you that I'm surprised there aren't more players who have the temptation to do something that's a bit more meaningful than a windmill celebration or something, and. Therefore, there is a huge obligation on you as the player to understand completely what it is you're doing. I mean, it, it may well be true that Anelka was slightly ignorant of the the depth of, of obscenity of the gesture. That might that might be true. But if you are going to use that platform, you have to know exactly what it is you're I, doing. It's 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 yeah, just I, it's it could just be stupidity and see, arrogance I, mixed together rather than anti-Semitism. That is a possibility. Hey, well, personally, when it comes to free speech, I'm. Pretty much uh, an, an absolutist, uh, with the very few exceptions that are, you know, libelous or, or, or criminal or shouting fire in a movie theater. Julian, when Nicholas Anelka goes on a football pitch, it's not his football pitch. I mean, if he wants to stay home in, in, in his front garden and do this all day, I don't have a problem with it. But 
he is employed by a football club. He is held to certain standards. There are rules which he's aware about. He must be aware that that gesture will be interpreted by people as a political gesture. Nicholas Anelka is, you know, the days of Didier and Claude and Marc Roger and the freak show when he was 19 and playing video games, that's all over. This man is now an adult, right? What is he, 36 now? I'm assuming you spent more time with him than we have. Can you shed a little bit of light in what this guy's thinking? I mean, I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, I think if he wanted to support his mate, Jordan, he could have gone on his website. He's got his own website. Write a column on your own website or say something like, yeah, my friend is this, my friend. But just don't don't take it on the football. I mean, he's, he's his own man, and we all know that. He's done things in the past that have showed that. So someone really close to me to him said to me the other day, 2013 has been too quiet for him. Well, well, clearly until <laughs> until uh, the other day. The thing is, he's a smart guy, Jules, isn't he? He's, he's a, smart a very guy smart now. guy, and he knew in Europe you see exactly. There's photos of him and Jordanet doing the gesture, the canal, in the past on a on a night out together, where you know with no context about football or anything else. And I'm not saying he's racist. But I mean, knowing him really well, I don't think he's racist at all. He's not anti-Semitic either, but. There's one thing that you want to support your friend because obviously he did that gesture. That's 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 an important point because Giordone is right in the news at the moment in France, where the government and especially the uh, Home Secretary Manuel Valls are trying to forbid him to having his his uh, comedian shows in the country. They're trying to ban him from all his shows in the country. That's so that's 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 what if if Anelka scored two months ago, he would have never done that celebration. It happened the other day because. It was in the news. It was the news agenda and all of that. And uh, and I think he went too far. I really do. All right. Enough of this. How about some quick hits? Allison's all excited, and so am I. <laughs> Tom Huddleston has an absolute monster of a game as Hull demolished Fulham 6-0. Allison, I'll admit it. I laughed at Mrs. Doubtfire and, and Hull's chances and Steve Bruce and all this stuff. But I'm now eating humble pie. Are you joining me in this activity? Did you not? Have your doubts over Steve Bruce, or did you think he was uh, the uh, the second coming of? Um, I'm trying to think of a good English manager, but uh, sort of struggle. <laughs> no, uh, well, no. I my main my main doubt about Hull was that they would be able to score any goals at all in the Premier League. So, it, yeah, I was wrong about that. They they've managed to score enough to keep well away from the relegation. Uh, there'll be a lot of clubs thinking, why, oh, why didn't we sign Tom? And for any club below the top six is thinking, why, oh, why didn't we sign Tom Huddleston? He has been really good this season, not just against Fulham, but consistently throughout the season. And uh, it's great for him that it ended that way with the funny haircut, la, la, la. And uh, Steve Bruce, it's just worth saying that this is a man who has got stacks and stacks of experience and it's just a nice comparison with Tim Sherwood, who has zero, who will finish higher. Manchester City struggled to uh, overcome Crystal Palace 1-0. Pellegrini complains that the opponent didn't come to play. The punditocracy heaps praise on Pulis because they're organized and blah, blah, blah. I thought it was ridiculous. I thought that if uh, City had somehow scored in the first minute, it would have been six or seven. But, hey, what do I know? Uh, Ducker, who's right? Uh, I can't actually believe I'm going to defend a uh, man who wanted to do away with the academy at Stoke so he could spend the £5 million uh, another average player but uh, you have to have to side with Tony Pulis on this one he came with a very very strict game plan to suggest that that Palace didn't want to try and win it uh, is completely inaccurate I think they actually had the same number of shots and targets as um, City in the end and 
carved a few excellent uh, chances. They really grew in confidence and, and ambition in the in the second half. And uh, you know, you know, it was nice, nice actually to see a, um, a a team come with a very organised system rather than just leaving themselves so recklessly open as so many teams have uh, have done against uh, an outstanding uh, attacking unit. Um, the Manchester City have so no, I, I totally reject the suggestions that uh, Palace didn't want to win. All right, I, I don't you contradict Mr. Pellegrini at your own risk there, Ducker. It's now seven points from three games for your pal Tim Sherwood, Julian. Obviously, the big test is Manchester United on New Year's Day. What does Sherwood need to achieve for Spurs uh, to stop looking for another manager? Put yourself in Mr. Levy's shoes or even Mr. Lewis's. Has to be top four. I think if they finish out of the top four. They will look for someone else. Uh, I think the mission for him, with the squad he has, is, is top four to show his creden- you know, his, his credential as a as manager. And and regarding news is there and, and the Man United game, he would have to get a team much more balanced than what we've seen in the last three games. Otherwise, they're going to get demolished by Manchester United. Really? Yeah. With their crummy defending and the still. All right. Malky Mackay is no longer manager of Cardiff City. Uh, Alison, I guess this was uh, inevitable, and you look extremely surprised. But I'm wondering, does this departure actually increase the chances of Cardiff staying up? And ultimately, isn't Malky the really big winner in all this? Because he walks on water. He's done a fantastic job, and it would be a no-brainer for him to be installed in, at West Brom. He walks away with, uh, no doubt, a fat severance, and he's a hero, right? Uh, well, Malky's the winner if he does get the fat severance without it descending into a legal battle. It's with lawyers at the moment, I Lawyers believe. are creepy and weird. They're generally bad but people that, with dark but, souls. you know, if you, if you spend too long wrangling over your payoff and not thinking about your next job, you're not going to be the winner. Um, <laughs> or O'Neill. Indeed. And uh, it is possible that it could work out okay for Cardiff if in his... Peak Tan decides to spend a lot of money in January, and he gets in a half decent manager. They might it, they might end up higher up than they would have been if they'd motored along with Mackay. You never know. Is he really the manager, or is it just all this freaking money that Tan? Because I'm serious. I mean, Danny Finkelstein's not here, but all these analytics types. I mean, we had Syed saying that 90 percent of a team's results are down to how much a team spends. You know, I'm thinking if Tan read Syed. He'd be looking at this and say, like, I had the highest net spend last year in the championship. I had the fourth highest net spend in the Premier League this year. It's me. It's me and my money who's doing this. And Mr. Syed agrees with me. Yeah, I think I think Vincent Tan is going to have a recording of you saying that, playing under his pillow every night for the next I, six months. I'm just suggesting, I'm saying my view, but we should get Syed and Vincent Tan together on the podcast. Uh, Manchester United win again, this time at Norwich, but serve up another dreadful stinker of a performance until Welbeck comes off the bench and then there's a deflected uh, shot and a goal. James, apart from the three points, and I know I'm not saying that's unimportant, but what positives does Davy Moyes take away? Uh, I think there were three, Gab. Uh, I think a clean sheet. Uh, when you look at some of United's defending uh, this season, that can't be sniff- sniffed at. Uh, Michael Carrick's return from injury. Uh, I know he's sort of pinned up as the saviour of uh, United's midfield, which is... Um, which is rather ludicrous when you think about it, but but he is by far and away the best midfielder we've got. And finally, the identity of the goal scorer. Yeah, it was Danny Welbeck's fourth goal in his last four league games. Proof, I would say, that he uh, he can be an effective um, goal scorer when played centrally, rather than that, on that ridiculous position on the left wing, which he is not. Everton overcomes Southampton in the clash of the Espanola Blando bright young things. Uh, Julian, 
which one of these two guys will be higher up the table next year? And, you know, you can modulate your answer based on the fact that they will move on to bigger and wealthier clubs. I, I think Martinez would be higher, but, but Pochettino is the man. I mean, I love Roberto Martinez, but Pochettino for me is just, he's just brilliant. He's just he's the best so of cool. the two. He will go very, very far. I'm not just saying that because he's a PSG legend, but, but also because I, I really love the thing he's doing. I love his ideas. I love how innovative he is. And I just think he's, he's going to go really, really far. And I, I love the fact that he just pretends he doesn't speak English. And it's the best way to avoid controversy, right? Know, and getting caught out and getting misquoted by, by, by the media pack. Just, hey, no hablo inglés. Well, I don't know. I had one word, one word in English with Pochettino, and it, it created all sorts of problems because he didn't quite get the England, English nuance. So maybe he's just as well he has his translation. You, you think he didn't get it or you think he was just pretending? No, no, no. Uh-huh. I was there, Gab. I didn't right. get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gab, one for you. Uh, you wrote in your favourite column, your column, your favourite one, about the most balanced... I think, I think balanced, we can say it's the people's favourite. And indeed it's I the, am people's the people's favourite. You wrote about the most balanced and yet uncertain league in the world. What were you talking about? I was talking about the Brazilian league and, and the, the, the premise here is that if you if you pull people like, and you ask them, would you want like a, a really evenly matched league where everybody has a chance to win season after season? Um, they would all say, uh, yes, we would. But then I wonder if that's the case because here in England with you know the much hyped Premier League where anything can happen, um, basically – Seven of the top eight have been the same for the last four years. And it's there's seven of the top eight again this year. And there's no social mobility. In Brazil, on the other hand, um, none of the top eight have finished top eight in the, the previous in all of the previous three seasons. You've got um, three of the top eight or newly promoted clubs. The defending champions finished in the relegation zone. And I wonder, is this what people want? Would football be more excited? Can we make a leap of faith? to something like that and imagine a world like that or are we just destined to talk United, City, Liverpool, Spurs, uh, Chelsea, Arsenal and Everton. On good a answer, Gab, but a bit too long. That's the thing. See, this, this is the dumbing down of the world. Right? We steer towards something serious and philosophical and, and nope, it doesn't fit into, uh, into the little 30-second box. Anyway, that's enough uh, for this week. Thanks to Alison Rudd, Julian Lawrence, and James Ducker. Now, um, our producer, Dave McGuire, helpfully wrote Twitter addresses here. Uh, do you guys want to volunteer your Twitter addresses so you can interact with people on Twitter the way Rory K. Smith does? Anybody? Ducker? No? no? no. Julian? No? Allison? What am I? What am I, producer? At Ali Red Times. Uh, Allison doesn't even know her Twitter address. Okay, fine. Don't forget, you can see all the goals and the rest of the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else simply by downloading the Times app to your smartphone. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. Wishing you a very happy end of 2013 festivities. We'll be back next year. Your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away.